welcome to Vision Scope, a program designed to educate and inform on matters relating to disabilities. My name is Wilbert Williams. Welcome to another in the series, Vision Scope. It really is an honor to have you tuning in to this program today. We recognize that you have several choices, but you decided to stay with us. And so we deeply appreciate your tuning in. Dr. Michael Josiah has been a pastor for over 50 years. He is visually impaired. Recently, he sat down with King Rocco, DJ Steve, and me, and told us his story. Let's listen now to that interview. Dr. Josiah, good to have you. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to Tell It Like It Is, and we're about to speak to Michael Josiah from Trinidad and Tobago. And as uh, Wise Willie alluded to, he has a doctorate in theology. Am I correct? Yes, sir. All right. So let's distinguish. It. Wise Willie did it earlier. There's a difference between a doctor and having a doctorate in uh, theology. Can you emphasize some more on that for us, please, in case we are just being informed on that? Thank you. Yes. Uh, in the world that we live in, we have doctors of all fields. Mm -hmm. All fields. But normally when we think of doctors, we usually focus our mind on the medical field. And even mm -hmm. in the medical field, mm -hmm. there are so many variations in the medical field that, that, that you know, you have, my daughter is a doctor, but she's in the medical field. Mm -hmm. That's my first girl. She's 49. Oh. And uh, I chose many, many years ago, uh, I chose theology and that's because that was in line with the fact that I was a pastor for a little over 50 years, 50 years oh. now. Okay. So I chose theology that was straight in line with what I was doing and upgraded my skill in that field. But mm. I, little did I know that choose, mm. even though I was in, in, I chose that field. I had to do so many other things once I chose a doctorate. Once I started to study the, that. It mm. was supposed to take me seven years because I started, actually started at a time when I, ha I had limited vision. Eventually I lost it and I had to learn all sorts of new skills especially for those who are visually impaired, you will know that that is absolutely necessary. So instead of taking seven years, it took me a, a longer time. It took me many years over. 
I, I would like to take you back in time, way back to your childhood days. Where were you born? In Guyana. You were born in Guyana. Uh, what, 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 what part of Guyana? In a, in a village on the east coast of Demerara, like 16 miles out of Georgetown, a place called Golden Grove. Golden Grove. Oh, we have a Golden Grove in Jamaica. At least I know of one Golden Grove in Jamaica, in St. Thomas. So uh, you were born in Golden Grove. And um, you were, I, I am assuming that you went to school in Golden Grove. Yes, my primary uh, education started in Golden Grove. Mm -hmm. in, in a Methodist school, Golden Grove Methodist school. Still exists, but the location is a little different. It's still in, in Golden Grove. What was it like growing up and going to school in Golden Grove, which I would assume is a, a rural district in Guyana? What was it like? Rural, but very popular. Um, like any other primary school pupil, you know, you, you enter into school life and it's, it's an adventure. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, I think that's the best word I could fit there. It's an adventure. You're right, Explain you're what you mean by being an, an adventure. Well, it, you are in that inquiry stage that where you, you are meeting new friends, boys and girls, and uh, you're, you are interacting with so many different pe people. In those days, corporal punishment was not, was not outlawed. And we knew what it meant to have the cane on, on the seat of learning. <laughs> so, you know, all of that was very interesting. And basically, that's how it was back then. What 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 kind of sport did you participate in oh, well, while you were in, in that school? Did you that do any was sport? interesting. One, I was a very good athlete. I was ah. a distant runner, mm -hmm. and I liked swimming. Okay, I wasn't. I didn't do swimming for speed. I did it for distance, okay. so I could swim distance long distances mile and more than a mile and that kind of thing and it was interesting because golden grove um, guyana is a land of many waters yes funny enough you could be in the land of many waters and still not know to swim i got a lot of licks from my parents for going and swim mm -hmm. because they felt my father died very early i was three and a half years old when he died so my mother was kind of scared losing our boys. We had six boys. There were six of us as boys. And uh, so when, when I go and, and swim in, in the trenches or whatever, she was always kind of scared. And I got a click. Quickly before you interject, I'm going to tell you, those trends have a lot of alligator and <laughs> snakes. <laughs> Not all of them. Not all of them. Go, go, Guyana has a lot of wildlife, quite a lot of it. But then you, you you learn to exist, coexist, I should say, not just exist. You learn to coexist. So alligators are in some of the trenches, but the alligators run away from you more than you will run away from them. 
Okay. So having gone through Golden Grove, what was the next stage in your academic development? Somewhere at about 11 or 12, I started what we used to call BGSS. That stands for Buxton Government Secondary School. So I started my secondary life at Buxton Government Secondary School. And that introduced me to, well, in those days, I remember cricket, West Indian cricket was the going thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody could beat the West Indies. That's right. The days of Clive Lloyd and Kanai and and those great people. So it it was just natural that you would play cricket too. We played cricket Mm -hmm. with, with almost everything. Little breadfruit. Mm-hmm. was the ball sometimes green breadfruit the small ones yes and you would you we had a lot of that you used it as a ball you couldn't afford to buy a ball so whatever you could get that could roll. oh yes oh yes that's what we used mm-hmm. and um so i liked cricket also i was a good all-rounder and a good spin bowler mm-hmm. Well, well so, with West Indies' current condition, we could use some more of that right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we could, use, we could use a lot of that. That's yeah. where my blindness started, you know. Okay, so, so you, you went to the Buxton Secondary School, and um, what was it like there? What, what were your experiences like at that school? The experiences that stood out were were in in athletics, in football. I liked that too. I don't know if I was very good at it at football, but I liked it. Very rough sport, and in cricket. Mm-hmm. Now, cricket stood out most because I was very good any time school had an either into school or what we used to call into house game. My name, Michael Josiah, eventually inevitably came up first on whichever side I was. And I used to bowl, spin bowling, and I used to bat as an opening batsman. Okay. So to me, that's the most outstanding thing because cricket is where blindness started in my left eye. I wasn't totally blind, but by the time I got to 15, I, I, I was, you know, I had a name in that school for cricket. What was, what, what was the cause of the onset of your blindness? <laughs> Very interesting. It's as though I'm living it. Asking that question is as though I can, I can just live it all over again every, every time the question comes up. Now, I was such a good batsman that I think I understood the game like most of us in the Caribbean who love cricket. I understood that the opening batsman's role was not necessarily to make the runs but to stay in the wicket as long as you could, look for the loose balls and, of course, make runs, but frustrate the bowling, beat the sheet off the ball. 
you went to the Trevor Bailey School. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you put it. And I used to do that. So one day we had we had a into house cricket. Now house was where the school that you're going to was zoned off in different mm -hmm. right. And I can't remember which house I was in, but I went in as an opening batsman in the heat of the Caribbean sun. And for two hours, they couldn't get the opening pair apart. And the other side was getting frustrated because we were there for two hours. And they tried everything, fast bowling, spin bowling, everything. And we were still there. So the op opposing team that was feeling started to get frustrated. And uh, like little teenage boys, you try every little thing, a, a, a feeler at midfield was intending to get me out the wrong way. So when the bowler would bowl the ball, he would pick up some stones and throw a stone at me. Mm -mm. At first, one of the stones, I remember his name, but for convenience, I wouldn't call him. No, no, right. no. But when he threw the first stone, he hit me on my chest. And I stopped. And I, I told him, I said, listen, because you all are trying the cheating way, the idea was you throw the stone, I knew the trick. You throw the stone at the wicket. So if you miss the ball, the claim was the, 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 the ball hit the wicket somehow. Mm -hmm. And then you would have a big argument to prove whether it's the ball or not. So and, I, and, knew, and, the, I and, knew the trick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I knew the trick. And because of that, I told him, I said, listen, no ball that is bold, regardless of if it's wide, whatever it is, it's not going behind the wicket. I'm going after everything. And because of that, you all are not going to get me out. And I really did that. I really did it. So they got more frustrated and more angry. So the second stone he threw at me, it hit me somewhere again. And I stopped and warned him again, but that didn't stop him. The third stone that he threw not only knocked me out, but that was the end of the game. Oh. Because he, he hit me in my left eye. And that's, that's what I could remember that day. Mm. I was knocked out cold. I don't know how long I was on the ground, but other friends came to my help. When I came to, I was taken to the principal's office who was not there at the time, but I was in so much pain that I, I asked to go home. I never forgot it was a Thursday, mm -hmm. 12th of May, 1966. Thank you for having me back with you guys. Yes, I, I, I got hit in my left eye. And uh, I, I remember clearly, you could check this out, it was a Thursday, 12th of May, 1966. I was 15 years old at the time. 
So I got home somewhere after lunch. And I, w I had a fever, very hot roasting fever. So I went to bed. My mother took me to, those who know Golden Grove will remember Dr. Holder. So I went to Dr. Holder and he took a look at the eye and gave me an ointment and I had some pumping tablets. But I went back home, used it, and I think that Thursday was the last time I saw from the eye. I was seeing everything. I saw everything blurred, blurred, cloudy, but the fever wouldn't break. So the Friday I had the fever, Saturday I had the fever, Sunday my mother said, well, this is not good. So Monday morning, bright and early, she took me to the hospital in Georgetown. When I got there, the doctors looked at me and started to quarrel with my mother because they thought that she should have brought me immediately. And according to them, I needed to be prepared for an immediate operation because they said that I had hemorrhage at the back. No, no visible bleeding coming out of the eye, but it was bleeding profusely at the back. At the back. So I couldn't go home, and I first time in the hospital. I didn't know what the hospital was like, but the first time, and I'm, I'm there, and I'm waiting, awaiting this operation the, the very next day. I went into the operation and came out with both eyes ba uh, bandaged down. I couldn't see. For, I think that was part of the operation. Couldn't see anything. Eventually, they, they, they took the bandage off the good eye, which was the right one, and I was, oh, nothing was wrong with that. So I would see again, I was seeing good. And after three weeks, three weeks, 21 days, they took the bandage off the left eye and they told me the chances were 50 50 because the doctors couldn't clean all the clot blood out of the eye. And of course, when they took the bandage off, I couldn't see. But my eye treatment continued for years. I knew, I know what it, what it was to take injections in your eye. And that's a traumatic experience. I, I know that. Every two weeks I had to go for this injection in my eye. They would, they would clamp the lids down with something, put drops to numb the spot, and then put an in, a needle in the side of your eye, inside there, and, and, and put something, some kind of medication in. But that didn't help either. That's where blindness started for me. So I went through school, secondary school, and then I started ter tertiary education that took me all over the place. I spent five years in Jamaica, literally living in Jamaica, and, and trying. I remember go I started there when the, the year Bob Marley died. So I, I went just a couple months after Bob Marley died. And I spent a few years there. Very, very before, intense. Before you, before you proceed with the, with the discussion, um, what was it like then, having become blind in one eye? The other eye was functioning or was it yes. in sympathy? It was functioning very well. 
Okay. So I didn't need help to move around. Mm-hmm. But I was very sensitive to the fact that I had one eye, a word dark shades, and sometimes I still wear that dark shades. Did that because eye, it, did that eyes um, stay functional, or did it eventually pack up? It it functioned for many years, mm-hmm. many many years. But I was warned that because I wasn't born blind, and because the strain was on one eye. Mm-hmm. I I needed to be very careful with it because I was now I was studying after along with my tertiary studies I was also doing a study in electronics from a school in Texas the abbreviations were NTS National Technical Institute I was doing radio and TV Mm-hmm. That made it worse because in those days you're dealing with all these fine, fine parts in radio transistors. Those were the days of transistors and incandescent tubes. Tubes were now going out of style and transistors was taking its place. And you know how it goes. After transistors, we had ICs and ICs gave but, way but, to... But, but step back a little bit. It means that despite your your um, accident, you were still pretty successful in school. I might yes. assume that. Yes. yes. We had uh-huh. no CXEs at the time. They were GCEs. Yeah, I remember GCs those days. GCEs and A-levels. Mm-hmm. So were, I you... was successful. Go ahead. I did what I did. I got I got a couple of subjects and... Um, and I didn't stop there because mm. the competition for work was was real hot. So instead of sit down sending out a letters of application here, there, and sitting down waiting on a job, I continued studying. I had to find something to keep me going. So I studied radio. I I I, I worked on radio for many many years. But then that ushered me into my first job. I did so a trade your first, test. What was your first job like? What was my your... first job was industrial electrical maintenance at Burma. Uh-huh. Burma had the largest rice factory in Guyana at the time, mm-hmm. and they had recently built a silo built by Pimar. I'm not going to go into the details about Pimar, mm-hmm. but they needed people with skill because it was a modern thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I had the skills, but when I did the trade test, I came out on top. Uh-huh. So I was, I was told that I, I could start working the very next day, mm-hmm. which I didn't want to do. I begged the superintendent to give me the weekend, and I started working the following Monday. Okay. Okay, and, so- from that, and from that, I, you know, my, my experience at work it was a very nice mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Until my wife died, I even got married with one eye. How did Started you? How, how did you? How did you? How long did you stay at that um, rice factory? How long did you stay? I stayed there seven years, and I stayed okay. only seven years because my wife died. Okay. And when she died, that was traumatic because I had three little girls. The first was not even five years old, and the second was not complete two years. 
and she died leaving me with these girls. I, I had to negotiate my way around. People advised me to give them up to, to this one and to that one and let the aunt take care of them and this family. I couldn't do that. I just couldn't part with these, with these tiny things that I had. So, I, so you, I you stayed on and looked after them? Yes. And made sure that they were okay? Yeah, I did no. that. Well, I did well, that for so some time. Having, having transitioned from one job, which job did you go to next then? Well, I, I really never left. While I would have left Burma, mm -hmm. I didn't give up the electrical field. Okay. So I did that. I contracted myself out to different, different places as an electrician and they needed industrial electrical maintenance at lots of different places. Mm -hmm. So I, I was making, it gave me the liberty to go only when there was a shutdown at certain places. So I had mm -hmm. time to look after my children and time to program myself to work because I needed them. Okay. And then I started working at Cow Island. Mm -hmm. Cow Island is really a, a place where they log wood and 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 they ship out wood from Guyana in, in lots of different ways, different what styles. Did you, what did you do there? In well, me, electrical maintenance again. Okay. I stayed at Cow Island for about six months. I didn't have to leave, but I felt after a while, because I had to leave my home mm. and live in Cow Island, the industry provided housing free. Mm -hmm. And they provided housing for me and my family, but I didn't want my family in the water. Everything was water. Mm. On the island, you didn't have car. When you want to come off the island and go to Bartica, you had to jump in a boat. And I wasn't really accustomed to that. So after a while, I said, you see this? Uh, they would fly my, my, my wife in, because by then I was married again. They would fly my wife in, and she could stay as long as she wanted, because I had the accommodation for her. But that's as much as I, I had for a wife. The rest of the month, she would come in for a weekend or so, and then she'd go back, and I would be there all day. I, I I don't think I was ready for that kind of lifestyle. So you didn't stay ready. there. You didn't stay there very long. No, after after six months, I chose to leave, and so, I left and went back to contracting my services out. Can I ask spend, a question? Go ahead. So, go ahead, Dwight. Um, <clears throat> in the midst of all of this, I, I noticed I noticed something here. I hope I'm not wrong. But did you bury yourself in? in both scholastic and work in order to 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 run away from the trauma of losing your, your left eye? I think I did. Looking back at it, you are quite correct. So so when 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 you had to face the music so to speak, how did you actually deal with it? When I had to face it. Yeah, For when me, you really, really had to face it. I never had what you would, what you people would do today. <laughs> I had to learn professional counseling to become a counselor myself. But then I never had counselling myself. I never, I think I needed it, but 
I know how it affects people who, who never had it. You just have to learn to cope with one foot in one foot in foot in the other and move on with your life one way or another. There are times you sit down and you you, you mourn, you ask God why, you do all these kinds of things. That's a process of of dealing with a trauma. And um without counseling it takes longer. But that's how I did it. Okay, go ahead, Wise Willie. If you have any questions, or let him continue what he was saying. Okay, so you 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 were at a point in your life where you were changing jobs regularly. Um, what made you decide to move from you know, electrical into studying theology. What was the jumping off point? Well, as a teenager, I, I think I went, to, I went to church very often. And I knew I was called to the ministry, which I resist, resisted vehemently. I didn't, I, I didn't mind going to church and supporting whoever the pastor was. But when I was asked to do leadership, teach whatever, teach youth. I was in charge of the youth group at one time. I was in charge of the Sunday school department another time. And then in, in, in between, I would preach. And I realized that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. I read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know how many times right now. But I used to count reading it through once every year and then i read it through four times a year for some time and and then it went from that into reading it from genesis to revelation once every month so i can't count how many times i would have done that but i did all of that not to get a doctorate i did it to get myself um refined and uh, on the cutting edge of of scripture that meant that i had to go to bible school which i did i started out in the assemblies of god bible school where i did a three-year diploma program and that was very interesting because you do you think you're going to do just study just bible but that's not true you have to interact with people so you do lots of other uh, studies, related studies that I, I didn't bargain for. But I stuck it out. I graduated in 1973. By, but by that time, I was already in pastorate. Three years as a, what they call a, a minister or um, the, the first grade minister. And by the time I finished Bible school, I realized that I needed to continue study. So I went and did my bachelor's, and that took me to Jamaica. And after my bachelor's, I, I thought I, I needed to continue, so I did my master's. And then I felt, well, I was already in studies. I got married in 1973, by the way, the same year I graduated in, in Bible school. Mm -hmm. And um, I started a family, and good for me, my wife never, never wanted me to stop studying here. Mm -hmm. So I continued 
But that meant that I had to stay away from work because by this time I was working at Burma, Industrial Electrical Maintenance. And I, they allowed me to take leave and go and study and come back and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and so I went on from that to, into my doctorate. In between the doctorate, I realized that my right eye was giving me trouble. So, so that, was, that must have been traumatic for you because here you are now at the stage where you are preparing to do the doctorate and find that um, your sight is dwindling. Yes. How, how did that affect you? Well, at the time, now I know better. And I have spent years now that I am more qualified. Mm. counseling lots of people all mm. over the Caribbean and in the States. Sometimes people send for me, they will send the ticket and I'll go and I'll spend time counseling. And once you have, once you faced a trauma, it's mm. necessary that when you counsel, you counsel not only the person who's facing the trauma, but the family because mm -hmm. they are mm -hmm. also in trauma sure and you need to deal with them too right and many times mm. we don't well we never used to think that that was necessary dr joseph what what was it like when you completed that process how did you feel well one relieved that even though it took some years more than I anticipated. I felt as though I was a lot more, I was in a better position to help a lot of people because my life was like, was, was built around helping people. My mother, I saw that in my family. She was always helping somebody, mm. taking in somebody's child or children in our home and we had to feed them so it became normal it wasn't anything abnormal and i guess that's where i i my life you know gravitated towards this theology and, and what i eventually did okay and i'm glad that i i i studied so that i i could be a professional i saw the need mm. you don't wait some people will never really physically cry out but they are crying inside they are broken inside inside they are in pieces and you have to be wise enough to hear that silent cry to be able to help people it's not all about going up in a church in a pulpit and preaching a sermon that's a little part of it the biggest part is helping people in so and you wouldn't help everybody talk to me about your family talk to me about your family now oh you, i have you, a great you have grown you have you have a wife and you have oh, grown yeah. kids by now yes um, yes tell us tell us about the family all my children are big mm. i my family moved on i i had eventually got married again i added four children to the three i had before so, so, so you had two unions, two unions, mm -hmm. and the two unions produced seven children in all. That's right. 
two boys, two boys, five girls. And they're all the adults last, now. Everybody is adult. My oh, okay. last child is 30 years old. Ah, ah, yeah. So you have you've done a splendid job in raising your children and you know Thank you. allowing them to come to maturity and all of that. But 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 tell me, what was it like when they were youngsters for you <laughs> with all of your personal struggles to deal using with them? A, using a word that we throw around a lot, challenging. Mm. Challenging because you don't normally have answers to all the questions and problems you will face. And every child is different. Mm -hmm. Every child is different. And every child comes with his or her own questions, challenges, mm -hmm. and uh, personality. Mm -hmm. I had to learn all those things the hard way. Mm -hmm. You love to read. So, Do you love to read? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really, really love to read. Mm. Reading was my first hobby. Outside of the Bible, what books do you read? Oh, all kinds of books. Novels, um, books that surround whatever subject I was reading. And, and then when you talk about Bibles, there are various subjects. There are all sorts of subjects. Who is your favorite author? Who is my favorite author? Mm. Well, in the novel area, uh, Louis Lamour, the, the, that's an old one. I, mm. You have to look online to get him now. Jubal Cade, you have to look on and online to get those those guys. Mm. So those were my favorite. All I had stacks of books by the um, novels by these guys, mm. and of course. Um, different when you do different theological study, you say I have all sorts of different subjects related to Bible, and I would study that too. Because you have to be wide. I was a teacher, not an evangelist, mm -hmm. not a prophet. I am not going to pretend to prophesy nothing. Mm -hmm. I love, am not a prophet. Do you love music? Music? Well, I, I used to teach music. I taught wow. a lot of people to play the guitar and the keyboard. That's interesting. And my hope I have, personally, I, I own four guitars. Mm. What kind of guitars? What kind of guitars do you specialize? Electric guitars. Yeah. I oh. used to play the rhythm, mm. play the bass, and play mm. the lead. But I, I, I think I'm more like the rhythm. I sometimes sit on the bass, played, played bass in New York one time at a church. And when they heard me, they took me out the next day and bought one of the most expensive bass guitars that we have, an Ibanez, five-string bass, and I have that until now. Mm -hmm. So, so did, did you learn the music by ear, or did you actually go to school to learn the music? I, I learned it both ways. Oh. Oh. I had to learn music theory mm -hmm. because the two go together, but I'm not an expert. So when I teach music, I, I teach you practical mm -hmm. and a little bit of, of the, the theory as, 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 as a subject. 
So how do you teach music now? Do you students come to you or do you teach online? No, I don't. I don't teach online. I never did online teaching with music. Mm -hmm. I did online teaching in Bible, okay. but not in music. Not in music. I used to have classes either mm -hmm. in church or at my home. And the largest class I ever had was in Penal in Trinidad here where there were about 40-something students at the same time. So I had to divide the, the classes in groups every mm -hmm. time they came. And the church was big enough to divide mm -hmm. these people in groups, different groups, and you will check them out periodically when they come to, to, to studies in the evening. It used to be for Mm -hmm. So King that's how I King Rocker has a question. No, what I, what I want to ask him, um, what was the transition moving from Guyana to Trinidad and Tobago back in the early days? Do you think um, coming to Trinidad and Tobago, it was a, it was a better decision for you in terms of um, uh, the, the success of your life where you're at right now? I, I, I would like to put it this way. I am thankful for Trinidad. But had it not been for my wife, I think wherever God wanted me, I would have been successful. Wherever. And I really mean that. I, if, you see, if you're born with a go-getting attitude and not a sit-back waiting for somebody to give you a drink of water, nobody's going to stop you. Mm. Even if you face trauma. I didn't know this then, but I learned it later. Even trauma is not going to stop you. I can't let you go without asking you this question. If you were exiled on an island and you were allowed to take only one music album, which music album would it be? <laughs> oh, I have so many of them. It's a you can only show. take one. You can only take one. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking at the moment because I never thought of that. I always thought of myself going with all of those, all the stuff that I like. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of, I never thought of taking one. So in my mind, I'm trying to choose which one. And and some of the old ones like Mahila Jackson, who mm. who's, was long died and gone. Oh yes. So um as opposed to some of the newer ones now, maybe I'll go back in time and take Mahalia. You would take Mahalia. Because she has quite a few. And she she has songs with words and meaning. Yeah. Feeling and meaning and everything that is desirable. And mind you, I'm not dissing the new ones because I have a no, lot no, of no, 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 no. Talk to me now. Talk to me now about food. Do you love food? I love to cook too. Oh, you love to cook. What's your favorite? Yeah. What What's your favorite dish that you like to cook? A favorite dish that I like to cook: um, baked chicken mm -hmm. with uh, calypso rice and some one of the very local salads like um, some kind of green salad mm -hmm. mixed green salad so what is the calypso rice for our listeners who don't know what is calypso rice 
calypso rice is the kind of rice that you boil and you 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 decorate it with colors different different vegetable colors so you, you know like you would use like um um some of the vegetables that you could you, that could give you a color uh funny okay. enough i'm trying would green peas be an example then green peas would be one of them okay but you, you would use other colors some of them you have to steam them to put them in the rice and give the rice that kind of color but you oh. also have to give it flavor time is against us uh, but in in the time that we have left can you um leave a parting statement with our listeners, something that would motivate them and help them to get on with life? Hopefully. I do not wish anyone trauma. But once you, once you have the breath of life, you don't go buy it in the market. The possibility of facing trauma is there. I am saying trauma, hopefully, to every listener now, is never the end of the road of life. It is just a sharp turn. And it only because becomes the end when you fail to take the turn. Once you negotiate the term, mm -hmm. there is life after trauma. Yes, I missed my sight, but so what? I've been doing so many things all the time. I never stopped. I have a great family. I have grandchildren now. And I just keep moving on. My wife is sighted. She moves around and people want to know how come this pretty, pretty lady with this blind man. <laughs> You're going to find nobody else? <laughs> and I laugh. Yeah. Because does a blind man, as they call me, or you, anything less than a man? The only problem is that you can't see. Everything else functions. Yep, yep. So yep. what's the difference? I can't drive a car again. So and, the time, and the time is coming when you, you, you will have that option. Well, whether you want, I get, whether you want I get, to do it or not is a different matter. Yeah, but if, 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 if they put blind people to fly an aeroplane, I will be the first to sign up. Yeah, why not? Why not? Dr. Josiah, I, I really want to thank you very much for coming in and sharing with us and with our listeners. It has been very inspiring, and I look forward to chatting with you another time. If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail.com. That is... N-O-R-W-I-L-L -L, number 2 at gmail.com
Thanks for listening. Have a happy and productive week. That's it for today. Join me next time when we will present another in the series Vision Scope. Music was provided by Rennie Williams Jr. Thank you.